This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem. Of a detour. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At the turn of the 20th century, decades before the term UFO was even coined, a wave of unidentified flying airships astounded America. Though thousands across the country attested to seeing them, the great airship mystery was quickly forgotten. That is, until 1952, when Project Blue Book was established by the U.S. government to investigate UFO sightings. Under the direction of Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, it became the longest-running official UFO inquiry in U.S. history. When Captain Ruppelt came across the great airship mystery, he knew he had to speak with a witness. The problem was, they were all dead. All except one. An elderly man who'd worked as a young copy boy for the San Francisco Chronicle. Ruppelt was interested in discussing what the man remembered from 55 years prior, during the great airship mystery. So he gave him a call. Though the man's memory was hazy, he was able to confirm for Ruppelt that the Chronicle's editor and its staff had indeed seen an airship, the airship even. He even asserted that the reason no one at the paper had gone on record was because people might think they were crazy. Captain Ruppelt hung up the phone. Perhaps crazy was just what whoever had buried the story wanted the public to think. Welcome to Conspiracy Theories, a ParCast original. Every Wednesday, we dig into the complicated stories behind the world's most controversial events and search for the truth. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Molly Brandenburg. And neither of us are conspiracy theorists. But we are open-minded, skeptical, and curious. Don't get us wrong. Sometimes the official version is the truth. But sometimes it's not. You can find episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Conspiracy Theories for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we are doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. 
And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our second episode on the Great Airship Mystery. Between November 1896 and May 1897, thousands of witnesses reported sightings across the continental United States. And just as mysteriously and quickly as the reports began, they stopped. Last week, we examined the historical backdrop of the late 1890s, including the status of American aeronautics. We covered some of the most high-profile accounts of these airship sightings from more than 1,000 news stories, which make up the official story of American airship sightings. In this episode, we'll take a deep dive into the top three conspiracy theories surrounding the great airship mystery. Conspiracy theory number one, the ships didn't exist at all. They were a hoax fabricated to sell papers and drive foot traffic to small American cities. Conspiracy theory number two, they were the work of a secret inventor, possibly backed by the U.S. government to develop airships as spy craft for the impending Spanish-American War. They were never meant to be seen or to cause the mania that they did. Once they were seen, the government quickly erased all evidence of their existence. And finally, conspiracy theory number three. The airships were first contact from an alien race, and someone had a vested interest in covering them up. Maybe even the same people who funded Project Blue Book, the United States government. Our first conspiracy theory was popular during the time of the great airship mystery and remains popular to this day that the sightings all were part of a hoax perpetrated by the newspapers, railroad companies, and news telegraphers to turn a profit. Let's put that into some more context. In the 19th century, the job of a news telegrapher was to track down stories in the field. They would then use a telegraph to send whatever they found back to their paper as quickly as possible like the stringers of today, who peddle on-screen footage to news networks, the first one to send their account of the breaking news got the paycheck. The more dramatic and outlandish the story, the better. Telegraph lines happen to run along railroads. If you were a news telegrapher who needed to run a story fast, you'd want to find witnesses who are close to the telegraph stations, so you wouldn't lose valuable seconds looking for a place to file your story. For most telegraphers, those witnesses happen to be railway workers and passengers. Proponents of the hoax theory contend that news telegraphers conspired with people they met at railway stations. They'd ask them to corroborate their fantastical stories, possibly even bribe them. And an overwhelming amount of the airship witnesses were railroad crew and passengers. On April 11, 1897, two farmers in Elburn, Illinois, even claimed that their mysterious airship had a crew that told them the flying object was following the Northwestern Railway. The convenience of the statement raised an eyebrow for many. And the press was motivated to perpetuate the hoax. When sales went up after the first few published accounts, it set a precedent. Afterward, editors knew readers were hungry for all things airships. If a sighting ran on the front page, they sold. 
Newspapers of the day were notoriously unreliable. They were plagued with yellow journalism, a term coined around this time, meaning sensationalist reporting motivated more by selling papers than getting the facts straight. And today, these newspaper stories are the only concrete evidence we have of the great airship mystery. There are some witnesses who claim to have picked up letters or debris from fallen ships, but nothing has ever been recovered. One vocal proponent of the hoax theory was the paper the Los Angeles Herald. In fact, back in April 1897, they accused the San Francisco Chronicle of orchestrating the whole thing. By the Herald's estimation, this wasn't the first major American newspaper hoax. Ten years earlier, a Kansas City paper started a rumor that a sea serpent was living in the Mississippi River. In 1844, the New York Sun published a story of a fantastical three-day balloon trip across the Atlantic Ocean. It, too, turned out to be a hoax. And it was written by none other than Edgar Allan Poe. So not only was there a precedent for hoaxes, but writers had even fabricated stories of flying objects before. What the hoax theory doesn't explain, however, is the breadth of reported sightings. In the seven-month period, there were thousands upon thousands of ordinary Americans who claimed to have seen the same thing. Hundreds of reputable media outlets reported these stories. Even if a good portion of the news stories were fabricated or embellished, how could anyone account for the sheer number of claims? The Herald posited that people might have spotted the notoriously bright planet Venus in the sky. Others claimed that maybe it was Alpha Orionis, a star which can appear red in color. It's difficult to believe that so many Americans would have mistaken a planet for an airship. Well, for one, stars don't move. And even at its most brilliant, Venus doesn't resemble a flying vessel. That's true. And although there are some conflicting reports on the airship's description, most witnesses attested to seeing the same object. They described a long, metallic craft that was highly maneuverable and held aloft by wings or propellers. Which describes an airship, not a faraway star or planet. And that's not even taking into consideration that many witnesses claim to have been close enough to hear the crews of these airships speak. But we can't discount the fact that witnesses may have arrived at their descriptions after reading previous accounts in the papers. And as we've established, the many reports may have been flawed or embellished. I do think the news telegraphers had a hand in either crafting or embellishing some of the eyewitness accounts, if not many. They lived under constant pressure, needing to deliver bigger and better stories more quickly than their competitors. But did they make up everything? I can't fathom that they would have gone that far. And if they did, how could they manage to avoid getting outed? Agreed. Even if some or most of the sightings were made up, there's simply too many of them to write off completely. There were thousands of eyewitness accounts from all across the country. Something odd was going on. And without concrete evidence, reports came from 400 different news outlets across the United States, some of which even once claimed it was a hoax, then retracted their statement. Hardly the behavior of a newspaper that wants to maintain credibility and keep selling papers. 
The possibility of all of the airship witnesses colluding doesn't seem plausible. Rating this theory on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most believable, I'm giving the hoax conspiracy theory a 5. Some reports being fabricated possible. All of them highly improbable. I'd give this theory an even higher score, a 7 out of 10. And if the airships weren't a hoax, that means... They were real. Coming up, an anonymous telegram offers an alternative explanation for the airships. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least, not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of bug it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. And with over 95 years of experience, it's no wonder they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. Thousands of eyewitness accounts and hundreds of papers corroborated reports of mysterious airships at the turn of the 20th century. Surely at least one of them was real. Which begs the question, who was flying it? On November 16, 1896, just one day before the first airship sighting, the Sacramento Bee published a bizarre telegram. It claimed that an anonymous New Yorker had perfected a new aerial craft. This secret airship would allegedly ascend from a vacant lot in Manhattan on November 20th, 1896, then fly directly to California a feat that the sender expected would take two days' time. The first-ever mysterious airship sighting was in Sacramento on the night of November 17th. Was the telegram a hoax, or did it just misestimate the timeline? Were the aircraft's construction and travels faster than even the sender expected? Was the airship mystery solved before it ever began? Well, this leads to our second theory— the airship was the work of a secret inventor testing their new craft. As for candidates for who this inventor may have been, many names have been put forth. One was Thomas Edison. In the late 1890s, it was widely believed he was secretly developing airships for the U.S. government. Edison himself unequivocally denied it. He said... I prefer to devote my time to objects which have some commercial value. At best, airships would only be toys. It's possible he was lying to throw people off his scent, 
Or maybe another inventor was behind the airships. One likely candidate is Professor Samuel Pierpont Langley, then director of the Smithsonian Institute and aeronautic rival of the Wright brothers. In 1896, Langley was far ahead of his competitors. In May, his number five aerodrome model made two consecutive flights before crashing into the Potomac River. Undeterred by the failure, Langley improved the aerodrome's design. He created a steam-powered flying machine featuring a metallic, cigar-shaped body for large wing-like protrusions and a rear propeller. If viewed from a low angle, it might even appear V-shaped. On November 28th, he tested his number six model, which flew almost 5,000 feet, roughly twice the distance covered by his previous flight. Admittedly, the aerodrome was a far cry from the advanced maneuverability the mystery airship supposedly exhibited. It also wasn't a piloted craft, as so many airship witnesses had attested. But the aerodrome was the first successful test of heavier-than-air aircraft on U.S. soil. And it just so happened to occur within a week and a half of the very first mystery airship sighting. Langley's Model 6 aerodrome does bear a striking resemblance to the airships outlined in the papers from November 1896 to May 1897. It only deviates from the typical airship account in one way, its lengthy bow mast. We could only find a single witness statement from the thousands that corroborates a mast in any of the sightings. But that witness did have binoculars. And, with the exception of grounded airships, all the sightings occurred at night. A long, thin protrusion from the ship's bow might have been impossible to see against a dark sky. So, had that witness not had his binoculars, it's likely he'd never have seen the airship's bow mast. Assuming the mast was present, the Model 6 aerodrome was a good candidate for the mystery airships. Two years after its first official test and six months after the end of the great airship mystery, Professor Langley received a $50,000 grant from the U.S. War Department and a $20,000 grant from the Smithsonian Institute to develop a piloted version of his aerodrome. The hope was for it to aid in the Spanish-American war effort. Upon receiving the funds, Langley hired engineer Charles M. Manley to be the aerodrome's test pilot. He then outsourced construction of its internal combustion engine to manufacturer Stephen M. Balzer. While the Wright brothers later tested their plane against the strong Atlantic coast winds of Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, Langley played it safe and tried out his aerodrome in the same place he'd flown all his previous crafts, over the calm skies of the Potomac River. The aerodrome required an extremely expensive catapult to launch, and Langley neglected to install all the necessary gear, which meant it couldn't land. But he assured his anxious pilot that he had a plan to lower the aerodrome onto the Potomac. But the plan was a disaster. The catapult construction ate up half his total grant money. Then, in late 1903, the aerodrome failed catastrophically on two separate occasions. On both occasions, Manley was sent hurtling into the Potomac and luckily emerged unhurt. Congress, however, was livid. 
They refused to hand over another dollar to Langley, and the project was abandoned. Langley was devastated and retreated from the public eye, but he left his engineering marvels behind. While it's true the Aerodome's capabilities were limited compared to the alleged airships, he was actively engaged in aviation tests during the time in question. And Langley's aerodrome case illustrates that the U.S. government did have an interest in funding aeronautics tests. But from our research, it doesn't appear that they began testing until after the great airship mystery in 1898. At least, not openly. Perhaps in secret, though. As tensions with Spain reached a breaking point, Many Americans believe their government was running secret airship tests over U.S. cities under the cover of night. Maybe one of them was Langley's aerodrome. It's possible, but unlikely, given that he conducted his test on the Potomac, well east of any of the airship sightings. Still, it is possible he had something to do with it. He could have been working on more than one project. The government believed in him enough to fund him in at least one venture, So why not also finance secret airship development? And Langley wasn't the only pioneering aeronaut the government may have been interested in funding. Another strange chapter of the secret inventor theory began in April of 1897, when multiple witnesses began reporting interactions with an airship crew member, a man known only as Wilson. In Beaumont, Texas, local brewer Jay Ligon and his son went to inspect eerie lights in a nearby pasture when they became the first people ever to meet the mysterious inventor, Wilson. After Ligon brought him some water, Wilson allegedly explained that he and his crew had conducted a successful test flight and were returning the airship to a quiet Iowa town where it and four others had been made. The next day, in Uvalde, Texas, Sheriff H.W. Baylor encountered three men standing outside a landed airship behind his house. One identified himself as Wilson of Goshen. He was originally from New York. Which is exactly where our anonymous telegram was from. Wilson supposedly asked Baylor about the former sheriff of Zavala County, a man named Captain C. Akers. Apparently, Wilson had met Akers in Fort Worth 20 years earlier and wished to speak with him. Sheriff Baylor broke the news that Captain Akers was now in the Customs Service in Eagle Pass. He was unavailable. Wilson was disappointed, but asked the sheriff to give his regards to Captain Akers. Baylor never saw him again, but another report of this peculiar Wilson came on April 23rd in Kuntz, Texas. According to the Houston Post, two men had encountered the crew of a landed airship. The crewmen's names, Jackson and Wilson. Then a letter was published by the Galveston Daily News on April 27th. It was written by Wilson's long-lost friend, Captain Akers. It seems Sheriff Baylor had kept his promise to give his regards. Captain Akers' letter confirmed he'd known a Wilson back in Fort Worth. By his estimation, Wilson had been 24, educated, wealthy, and from New York. According to Akers, Wilson had also been interested in aeronautics and had tried to construct an airship. 
Captain Akers had no doubt that if Wilson had succeeded, he would hunt me up to show me that he was not so wild in his claims as I then supposed. But despite Akers' assurances, we could find no other identified information, nor any further indication of who this Wilson might have been. He's so shrouded in mystery, we can't even say with complete certainty he actually existed. The same can be said of our last candidate, put forth by author Michael Busby. He contends that the airships may have been the work of a clandestine group called the Sonora Aero Club, which operated out of the California deserts in the 1850s. The theory was born after the death of a Prussian immigrant and butcher, Charles A.A. Delshaw, in 1923. After his retirement in 1899, Delshaw retreated to his stepdaughter's attic. He began filling notebook after notebook with thousands of pictures of flying machines, accompanied by hundreds of pages of coded text. The notebooks weren't discovered until years after the airship mystery had passed, but they did point to the existence of a secret Sonora Aero Club founded in the 1850s, which would mean it could have been active come 1896. According to Delshaw, he and about 40 other aeronauts were recruited to design and build airships, backed by an unknown organization referred to as NIMSA. However, Delshaw didn't begin his notebooks until a year after the great airship mystery ended, and his whereabouts during the 1850s remain unknown. Timing aside, the unknown whereabouts in and of itself is mysterious. Despite all the conflicting theories and reports, the secret inventor theory does seem plausible, given all the flight experiments going on at that time. Not to mention that the U.S. government was very motivated to win any conflict with Spain. For that, they needed aerial capabilities. And in Langley's case, we have concrete evidence that they were willing to pay handsomely for them. Well, the United States was already on the cusp of mechanical flight. The mystery airship technology was already in existence. What's to say someone wasn't testing early prototypes under the cover of night? The end of the 19th century was the age of the independent inventor, whose eyes were at once on the sky and over his shoulder, constantly on the lookout for would-be patent-stealing rivals. For this reason, it was common practice for inventors to hide their work from the prying eyes of the public. Even the Wright brothers were independent inventors. They, too, conducted their experiments in secret. Even if we never know who actually invented the airships, the technological timeline checks out. America had long been poised and ready to take flight. For that reason, I'd give the secret inventor theory an 8 out of 10. Fairly likely. I agree. It's possible, but without more details, it feels incomplete. While it seems likely that the U.S. government was funding at least one secretive inventor, There are still too many candidates to say for sure who he or she was. And as we'll explore in our third theory, some people aren't even convinced the inventor was human. Coming up, the world's first report of an alien abduction. Life is a highway. 
and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange-traded funds with GlobalX ETFs. Exchange-traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. GlobalX specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. Now, back to the story. In the late 1800s, buzz of secret inventors and government projects surrounded the mystery airships, and with good reason. The promise of human flight was just around the corner, and Americans were eager to see it. But is it possible that what America saw in the sky between 1896 and 1897 wasn't human at all? Our third and final theory is perhaps the most hotly contested supposed conspiracy surrounding the great airship mystery. The airships were actually spaceships piloted by emissaries from Mars. It all began during the first California wave of the airship mystery. On November 27th, 1896, the Stockton Evening Mail made history when they published the world's first alien abduction claim. Allegedly, around 6 p.m. on the night of November 25th, a man named Shaw and his friend were riding their horses back home from Lodi, California. Their horses became startled at the sight of three strange beings in their path. Shaw described them as curiously beautiful. Each was seven feet tall and very slender with large, lustrous eyes and impossibly small, toothless mouths. Shaw commented that the strange beings communicated to him in warbles and appeared to ingest some sort of gas as sustenance. He then saw that they were carrying an egg-shaped object that emitted a stunning light. According to Shaw, after the strange beings revealed the egg, they attempted to take him aboard their ship. But because of their slight frames, their abduction efforts were unsuccessful. Shaw later concluded that they were likely inhabitants of Mars sent to Earth to secure one of its people as a hostage. It's worth noting that, by some accounts, Shaw was one of the male's former editors, which might mean that his retelling has more in common with our hoax theory than reality. But others claimed he was a colonel in the army, a reliable source. Or a government plant. And in any case, it's worth noting that Shaw's account is written in beautifully crafted prose. At first glance, the language is more befitting a short story than an eyewitness account from someone whose concept of the universe has just been radically challenged. I'd be more likely to write it off if it were the only alien sighting of its kind, but it wasn't a lone story. By April 1897, the extraterrestrial theory had gained some serious traction. According to the Saginaw Courier-Herald, at 4.30 a.m. on April 14, 1897, an airship landed a half-mile southwest of Reynolds, Michigan. 
A dozen farmers rushed to the site, where there was said to be a nine-and-a-half-foot-tall, nearly-naked humanoid trapped inside the downed airship. It appeared to be suffering from heat stroke and spoke in a musical series of bellows. The next day, a large airship was spotted heading north over Lynn Grove, Iowa. According to the Indianapolis Journal's report, Five men chased it for four miles until it finally landed. They got within 700 yards before the ship unfurled four wing-like appendages and flew away at a mind-boggling speed. But it apparently left behind two boulders of unknown composition. They were tossed overboard by queer-looking men with extraordinarily long beards who made desperate efforts to conceal themselves. But these mysterious rocks have yet to be found, which could mean they never existed. Or the evidence has since been hidden or destroyed. But that brings us to our next account, where the evidence was destructive in itself. For those who accept the extraterrestrial theory, accounts don't get much better than the alleged sighting on April 17, 1897. In Kansas, Cattle farmer Alexander Hamilton, his son, Wall, and tenant, Gid, awakened to the sound of distressed cattle. According to the Burlington Daily News, Hamilton looked outside to find an airship slowly descending over one of his cows. Hamilton's description of the cigar-shaped ship with red and green lights is consistent with many of the other witness accounts. But at an estimated 300 feet in length, it's also quite a bit bigger. Inside the ship, he could make out six strange beings, all jabbering unintelligibly to one another. That's when he, Wall, and Gid realized that one of the beings had attached a heifer's foot to a feeder cable connected to the airship. The beings tried to make a clean getaway, but the cow had become entangled in a nearby fence, preventing the ship's ascent. Hamilton, Wall, and Gid rushed to the heifer's side, but were unable to cut the animal free. Instead, they resorted to cutting the fence. As the ship took flight, they stood in amazement as the heifer ascended, and a piece of fence went flying into the sky with it. The following day, one of Hamilton's neighbors claimed to have recovered dismembered pieces of the cow. They were scattered miles away from the abduction site. On the following day, the Indianapolis Journal printed an affidavit signed by 11 members of the community, including the sheriff, justice of the peace, and the postmaster. All attested they had known Hamilton for years and believed his statement to be true. And eight days later, the Burlington Daily News ran a similar affidavit in Kansas. Then, in the early morning hours of April 17, 1897, the early risers of a sleepy northern Texas town were greeted by a spectacular crash. According to a Dallas Morning News report by S.E. Hayden, an airship had apparently been flying at a precariously low altitude, some of its machinery evidently malfunctioning. After clearing the public square, the ship was alleged to have crashed into Judge Proctor's windmill on the northern side of town. At which point, the ship exploded, sending debris flying across several acres. Neither the ship, 
the windmill nor Judge Proctor's flower garden survived. A U.S. signal serviceman named T.J. Weems claimed to have extracted the burned, disfigured remains of the pilot from the crash site. After examining them, Weems concluded the pilot was not an inhabitant of this world, but rather a native of the planet Mars. Weems was said to have found papers on the pilot, which he assumed were travel records of some kind, but couldn't be sure as they were written in some indecipherable hieroglyphics. As for the ship, Weems attested it was too badly wrecked to form a conclusion about its construction or motive power. By his estimation, the vessel was built of an unknown metal resembling a mixture of aluminum and silver and must have weighed several tons. He wasn't the only one to examine the materials. According to reporter S.E. Hayden, people were descending on Aurora to view the wreckage and to gather specimens of the strange metal from the debris. Then, almost as an afterthought, he mentioned that the pilot's funeral will take place at noon tomorrow. Hidden somewhere in an Aurora cemetery lies the unmarked grave of the airship's pilot. While this is a great story, to date, neither the metal samples nor the pilot's body have been recovered. Even the pilot's gravestone marker, alleged to have been painted with one of the hieroglyphic symbols on the pilot's papers, has gone missing. And like the railway workers, we have to consider who is making these claims, one S.E. Hayden. It's worth noting here that, in addition to writing for the Dallas Morning News, Hayden was a local businessman with a vested interest in driving traffic to his tiny Texas town. Aliens are good for tourism. But at the time, Hayden's story was largely dismissed. After publication, he even declined to speak another word on the crash, the alien pilot, or the gravesite. I might too if people are going to assume that I was lying. And maybe that was exactly what the people who covered up the great airship mystery wanted, for every eyewitness to look like a liar. Maybe. But a follow-up investigation into the April 17th Aurora, Texas crash was conducted in early January 1967. It was led by Texas historian and Dallas Morning News columnist Frank Tolbert after he received a copy of the old S.E. Hayden article in the mail. Tolbert's conclusion? It was a hoax, dreamt up by news telegraphers, supporting our first conspiracy theory, not this one. By Tolbert's estimation, the telegraphers achieved credibility by enticing Fort Worth Railroad conductor Joseph Scully into their scam. He was a man whose honest reputation was said to have stretched from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. Tolbert soon found former Dallas Railroad employee Ray Henderson and questioned him about his news telegrapher hoax theory. But Henderson was in his 90s by that time and not the most credible witness. Oddly enough, by the early 1970s, Tolbert began arguing the reverse of his initial theory. He claimed that many reputable people beyond the railroad crews had seen the airships. His final columns asked readers to consider the sheer numbers of ordinary people who claimed to have seen something. 
Which brings us back to our original point. There are so many sightings that there simply has to be an explanation beyond hoax. Maybe that explanation is that the airship pilots were visitors from Mars. I don't think so. The vast majority of anecdotal accounts have been debunked. After a thorough investigation of Hamilton's cow mutilation in Kansas, researcher Jerome Clark concluded it was a hoax. And as for the Aurora crash, no evidence that it was extraterrestrial in origin has ever materialized. It does stand to reason that if the airships were visitors from outer space, surely they would boast more advanced technology than propellers and wings. All the witness statements appear to describe technology common in the 19th century. Martians would have a difficult time reaching Earth with the technology described, like propellers, which wouldn't work in the vacuum of space. But none of the witnesses were close enough to truly examine the technology. And even if they were, would they fully understand what they were seeing? Perhaps they were describing what they saw using the best language available. Unless more evidence comes to light, like an alien grave in Aurora, Texas, we'll have to make peace with the mystery on that one. For all the reasons stated, I'd rate our third theory a 2 out of 10. Interesting, but not particularly believable. I'm a little more optimistic. I'd give it a 3. Of all the conspiracy theories presented, my sense is the truth lies somewhere in the middle ground between the hoax theory and the secret inventor theory. In some cases, it's clear that the press had a hand in fabricating stories, either to push their own papers to more customers or possibly to spark widespread public interest in their towns. But it also strikes me as plausible that the airships were part of a hurried effort on behalf of the U.S. government to get more sophisticated aircraft up and running before tensions between America and Spain finally boiled over. Not to mention, Congress gave Langley $50,000 to develop his aerodrome in 1898, worth about $1.3 million today, which means they were eager for results. And those results came a few years later with the Wright brothers. Although Langley outmatched them in resources, they managed to build the first heavier-than-air craft out of tenacity, grit, and a bit of spare change. It's the spirit of American ingenuity and innovation. More than anything else, that's what I think is at the heart of the great airship mystery, whether it was a secretive invention or a clever newspaper marketing scheme. I suppose everything novel is shrouded in mystery until one day, through the force of our imaginations and hard work, it's made manifest. And what seems like science fiction one day might be accepted fact the next. Perhaps airships truly did cross the skies of the central and western United States in 1896 and 1897, and it's only a matter of time until we find the conclusive proof to support their existence. Until then, we'll keep asking questions. Thanks for tuning in to Conspiracy Theories. 
We'll be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Conspiracy Theories, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Conspiracy Theories on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Conspiracy Theories in the search bar. Until then, remember... The truth isn't always the best story. And the official story isn't always the truth. Conspiracy Theories was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Aaron Larson, and Joel Stein. This episode of Conspiracy Theories was written by Allison Lonnie, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire and stars Molly Brandenburg and Carter Roy. 